Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. All right, good morning. I liked that song at the beginning about all things being possible. It seems that that was inspired by Scripture, that I can do all things through him who gives me strength, through Jesus Christ. It really does tie in well with where we're headed. We're headed towards Easter and to the greatest miracle, the resurrection. Over the past several weeks, we've talked about seeing Jesus, recognizing Jesus. The prophets of the Old Testament, we looked at what they had to say and how they over and over and over again, they proclaimed the coming Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior. And when he, when Jesus arrived in the world How is it that so many people didn't recognize him and they didn't see him? They missed him. They missed Jesus. They missed this God-to-man connection. And they missed that he was the only way to reconcile and reconnect with the creator. And there was many reasons. There were many reasons that people missed seeing who Jesus was. They were distracted by life and all the things that come at us during life. They were looking for the wrong person. They were looking for a warrior king, a conquering king. Some were jealous of the power and the popularity that followed Jesus. And so they missed him. They ignored him, or they knew who he was, but they they turned against him even though all the Old Testament prophets, even though he was announced by John the Baptist, he was the light that was dawning in the darkness. He was calling sinners to repentance. He was God's chosen servant. But yet so many, so, so many missed Jesus. Yet there was a group that believed. Smaller group, but a group nonetheless that came to believe that Jesus Christ was truly the Son of God, that he was the Savior of the world, and Jesus gained followers. But even his followers, they had various ideas of their, uh, of their own. Uh, their minds at times were confused they had many questions about who this was. You know, one day their faith was really strong. They were emboldened maybe by a miracle, a great sign of Jesus. And then his followers' faith, uh, the very next day or even the very next hour, a storm might come up. A crowd would gather that would strike fear in their hearts and their faith would just it would fall off. It went from this this level of high, strong passion to almost non-existent, and it could happen so, so quickly. 
And then what would happen? Jesus might perform a miracle. He might give them a word. And then once again, their faith was bolstered and they were strong again. It was these signs often, these miracles that Jesus did that would bring that faith back. And as we look toward Easter, as we look toward this, the greatest miracle, the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we're going to consider some of the miracles of Jesus, miracles that showed Jesus' compassion towards people, that showed his sympathy, his love, his power as the divine Son of God here on earth. Miracles that not only proved his divinity, but signs that helped this growing band of followers, helped to bolster and build their faith. And miracles that answered questions. But no doubt these miracles would add to the questions. Sure, it might answer a question, but... I can see, as Jesus performed a great sign or a miracle, people saying, what's next? What else is coming? And every day of our life, we don't know what that day is going to hold. You never know what's next. You never know what's coming with real exacting precision. It's something I say often to people. You just don't know what a day is going to hold. I was driving with my family once to uh, Nashville. We were taking a vacation to Nashville. Had both my daughters in the, we had a little van, had it packed full of luggage. We were on our way. And there we were on I-65, right outside of Park City, Kentucky. I think where all the, 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 the caves are and such. And without one bit of warning, no notice whatsoever, and no more forward thrust, transmission, catastrophic failure, immediate and done. It was cooked. And when I got that thing repaired, I was told, never saw one like that. Never saw one explode on the inside quite that bad. I mean, it was just destroyed and it's as if you're, you're on the, uh, on the uh, interstate cruise control on, just like slipping it in neutral. Nothing at all. So I begin to make my way over to the shoulder. And it, it really, you know, what's next? What's coming? I had no idea. So pulled over, stopped. And this, this trip turned into really one of the most memorable trips we've ever had. We had to rent a vehicle. Guy showed up with a, a pickup truck to pick us up. It didn't have four doors. It wasn't a fancy pickup truck. You know, it had this little back seat. So my girls had to smash in there. And Julie and I were in the front with this, this guy. We're, you know, Enterprise. They come and pick you up. It was a great thing. So we got to the Enterprise lot, and I said, where's all the cars? There are no cars here. Oh, he says, oh, you get the pickup truck. Oh, I get the pickup truck. Great. Yeah. Nice. I got to go back, take out my luggage. It's raining. Where do I put it? I got to put it in the back of a pickup truck. It's the only place it'll fit. It was one thing after another on that trip. We ended up having to get another car to get home, rent a different car. But there were some really positive things, some great faith-bolstering 
things on that trip, as we had sort of eased over onto the uh, shoulder, this was back when I had a cell phone. We had one cell phone. It wasn't, it wasn't this era where everyone in the car had a cell phone. Right? If this happened today, before I got onto the shoulder, it would have been on social media, you know, hashtag transmission failure, you know. And the whole world would have known before the car came to a stop. But here, I, uh, you know, we had one phone, and I said, well, I should call. I have AAA. I'll call AAA. So I'm uh, looking around, fumbling in my wallet. Julie, she says, well, we should pray. She's always, yep, brings it right back to where it ought to be. You know, she gets us, all right, we should pray. I'm still uh, getting the phone. I actually had connected the call. She's praying. She's praying with my daughters. You know, Lord, we need your help. We're in a situation right here. And I get this guy at AAA. And I said, hey, okay, I just had a, some kind of uh, issue. And he says, where are you at? I said, well, I'm on I-65 uh, somewhere outside of Park City, Kentucky, exit number 43. Oh, he says, okay, well, I'm going to have to transfer you over to uh, that location, and we'll get, a, we'll get a truck out for you. Julie's just saying amen. She's with the girl saying amen, and this is what happened. I turned. I'm still on the phone with AAA. I turned, and there is a man standing outside my window. He has a ball cap on, and it's got three letters on there, A-A-A. So I say to this guy, I said, hey, I just told you I'm on I-65 at exit 43. I said, that was fast. <laughs> he says, what are you talking about? I said, there is a guy standing outside my window. It says AAA on his cap. He said, really? I said, yes, really. My wife has just said Amen. You never know what's next. You know, all things are possible. So I rolled down the window. Friendliest guy you could ever meet. Hey, what's wrong? I saw you over on the side. I look in my rearview mirror. There's a flatbed uh, truck behind me. In no time, this guy had our van up on the, the flatbed, got us off the interstate to a nice truck stop that had all the amenities. You just never know what's next. And that was really a great faith-building experience uh, for me, for my family. So now as we look at some of the miracles of Jesus, you know, we should keep that in mind. We just don't know. We don't know what's coming with Jesus. And a great place to start as we look at these miracles, I want to look at what the Apostle John calls the first. Why not start with the first? the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. I thought it was amazing that he revealed his glory with a guy standing outside my window almost instantaneously. But Jesus, he does so, so much more. In the early chapters here of the Gospel of John, at the end of chapter 1, Jesus is gaining a few followers. And I just want to give you a little background here before I get into John chapter 2, where we're going to be. And if you have your Bible, you can just stick your finger there in John chapter 2, because I'm going to read the first 11 verses when I get there. But just a bit of background. Jesus was gaining a few followers. John the Baptist had said, hey, he is the one. There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And 
Andrew, who was a follower of John the Baptist, he was a disciple of John the Baptist, he heard that. He left John the Baptist. He went to follow Jesus. And that was okay with John. John said, I got to go down. He's got to go up. First thing Andrew did was fetch his brother, his brother named Peter. He said, Peter, hey, we have found the Christ. Then these two begin to follow Jesus, and a guy named Philip joined, uh, joined the group. Philip was convinced. He went and got his friend Nathaniel. And he said to Nathaniel, hey, this is, the, this is the man that Moses wrote about and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the son of Joseph. And then chapter 2 of John opens. Jesus has this group of fledgling followers, Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and perhaps there's a few others. And they're in this town called Cana of Galilee. Cana's maybe just a few miles, five, six, seven miles from uh, Nazareth. And there is a wedding celebration taking place. Jesus, this group of his followers, they were invited, and Jesus' mother Mary was also there. So that's uh, gives you an idea of what's happening, and I want to read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. There's so much here in this passage. Could preach many messages. Could do a whole series on this. For today, for this morning, I just want to focus really on two things, mainly on Mary and a little bit on these servants that filled these water pots. But first, Mary, what we know of her prior to this episode, prior to this narrative in John's gospel, what we know of Mary we learn from Luke and Matthew. The early, the early chapters, chapter 1 and 2 of Matthew, chapter 1 and 2 of Luke, they uh, give us a little bit of insight into who Mary was. Angels had visited Mary to tell her she was going to give birth to the Son of God. She was very humble. She uh, humbly received that news. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to, to me be fulfilled. That's what she said to the angel when the angel told her, you're going to bear the Son of God. 
shepherds visited Mary and her husband Joseph when their son Jesus was born. They said, hey, we were visited by angels. They spread this news about what they had heard from the angels all around the town. Mary, it says in the Gospel of Luke, she treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then when Jesus was just over a month old, he was presented in the temple. Simeon, uh, a man there who was a devout man of God, he took hold of this child and he began to praise God. And he said things like, my eyes have seen your salvation. Joseph and Mary, the parents, they marveled at what this Simeon was saying about their son. And then Simeon said to Mary, this child is destined to cause falling and rising of many in Israel, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. And then wise men from the east visited Mary and the baby Jesus. They presented expensive gifts. These, these kings or noblemen from the east, they brought expensive presents and they worshiped Jesus. Years later, Jesus was 12 years old. He was lost from his family. They'd taken a trip to Jerusalem. They'd gone to the temple. And Jesus was lost in the crowd. When he was found, they discovered that he was in the temple and he was with the teachers, answering questions, amazing all the people that were there. And his parents were astonished. And this child, this, this boy of 12 years old said to them, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house. That's at the end of Luke chapter 2. And in Luke 2, verses 50 and 51, it so, sums it up. It says, they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth, Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Mary had all these experiences. And yet, she didn't understand the, the angelic visits, these wise men from the east, strange prophecies from this, this elderly man in the temple, her son teaching adults in the temple. What does it all mean? She didn't understand. But she treasured these things. She carried them with her. She pondered them in her heart. What's next? What's coming? How could she know? And then the next narrative we have, the next portion of Mary's life, years have gone by. Jesus is not 12 anymore. He's about 30. It's Luke chapter 2, and it's this wedding in the town of Cana. This is the next glimpse of Mary's life that we see in the, the Scripture. Has there been anything has there been anything for us that would show us she's gained some understanding now of who Jesus really is? Not really. We don't have anything written down. Jesus was born. She was pondering these things in her heart. He was 12. She was still pondering. There had been no miracles of Jesus recorded. You know, John's Gospel says this one's the first. We read elsewhere in Scripture that Jesus was known as the carpenter. Or the carpenter's son. He has not gained any real notoriety at this point. 
He's here at this wedding in Cana. The man, John the Baptist, has pointed him and said, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's gained a few followers. I imagine his mother is still wondering, still pondering these things in her heart, still seeking understanding. And then this strange incident. Now this, this really kind of just odd episode. They're at a wedding. It's a great celebration. Weddings in the culture, they weren't, they weren't akin to our weddings, where, yes, weddings here in our culture are big deals, but they're usually, you know, a one afternoon and evening event, a whole lot of planning and times poured into it, but it's that one day. Well, weddings in, in the time of Jesus and in his culture, they were multi-day events. They could last upwards of a week. Being a good host at such an event, it wasn't just important, it was imperative. It was what was expected. It was a responsibility. Hospitality was a responsibility, and to breach that responsibility of hospitality, that could bring, that could bring punishment from the community around. So to come up short on the main beverage at a, at a wedding, this was a breach of hospitality. And Mary came to Jesus, and she reported the fact. It was a simple statement. They have no more wine. There was an implied question in her statement. And we picked that up based on how Jesus responded. Jesus' response, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus addressed his mother as woman. It was not a uh, disrespectful response. He called her woman as he called her woman when he was on the cross. It was uh, really a term of respect. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Woman, here is your son. So presented her to the apostle John, you know, knowing that he was going to die. So his response was not, a form of disrespect, but it seemed to be implying something. It seemed to imply that there was something in her statement. And what was Mary implying? It's nearly universally agreed that she was asking Jesus to fix the problem. I went through many, many commentaries reading about this, looking at it, and this really sums up what I would say is the predominant paraphrase of what Mary is implying. Son, we've got a problem here. We need your help. The groom's family is running out of wine. Do something. Fix it. That's the predominant view. And it, it's, it's an interpretation. It certainly is. Because the question isn't stated. It's a statement. I want to look at it a little different this morning. I want to take kind of a contrarian viewpoint. I want to take the view or the perspective of a woman who really didn't get it yet. Remember, the angel visited her, visited the shepherds, told her that these shepherds told her many things about her son that the angels said. She had this experience in the temple with uh, the, the prophetic man. 
She had the experience where her son was teaching the adults. She had these strange noblemen who came from the East with these expensive gifts, all these experiences, and yet she didn't get it. She didn't understand. We read in, in Luke at the end of the second chapter, Mary and Joseph did not understand, but she pondered these things. She kept them. She treasured them. And, and at this point in Jesus' life, it doesn't seem he's really done anything to help her understand. He is the carpenter. He is John's cousin, even though John called him the Messiah. And a few have started to, following, to, to follow him. Consider that his mother had not yet come to understand the divinity of her son. Think about that. Think about that and picture her now approaching him during the wedding with this report. They have no more wine. Now perhaps there is an implied question, but it's different than Jesus' mother pressing him to fix the problem. Perhaps it's much more simpler and maybe in fitting with this context of, of this great wedding feast where the host is about to be embarrassed for running out of provisions. They have no more wine. Son, don't you think we should leave? We don't want to embarrass this host. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come to leave this gathering. Now, there's no sense of him speaking about his hour of agony. When, when you read further in the, the Gospels about Jesus saying, my hour has not yet come, it's typically an hour of departure that he's referring to, an hour of his death. But there's nowhere here in this, this little narrative that speaks to the cross or speaks to his death or speaks to his agony. agony. He's, he's saying, my hour hasn't come. And a plain and simple reading of it, to me, it makes some sense. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not come to leave. And this plain, this simple reading, it puts Jesus squarely in control. He's not being pressed for a miracle. He's in control. When his most devout followers, those who had witnessed his power, and they were confronted with similar circumstances, they didn't think of asking Jesus to perform a miracle. Storms rise suddenly. Crowds gather and strike fear in their hearts. And what occurred? Typically it was confusion. Typically the disciples didn't know what to do. In John chapter 6, just a few chapters later, we read about just an event. Philip, one of the guys that was right there when this when this water was changed into wine and he saw the power of Jesus and it, we even read there at the end of this little narrative that his disciples believed in him, yet their faith would wane. Philip, who witnessed this, witnessed something else. A great crowd of people that needed to be fed. We read about it in John 6. I'll give you a couple of the verses. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him. Now, isn't that interesting? I wonder what Philip's going to answer. Is he going to say, hey, why don't you just do what you did that day at the wedding? 
He asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, Jesus was in control. Jesus was in control. He already knew what he was going to do. And it didn't matter what Philip responded. But Philip didn't answer, hey, Lord, you got the power. Take care of business. Nothing's impossible with you. No, that's not how he answered. He answered, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So Philip's thinking, Lord, we can't go out and buy all this food for these people. Jesus is thinking, I'm going to feed them. He already had in mind what he was going to do. And Jesus fed 5,000 people with a few meager loaves and fish. When confronted with problems and issues, Jesus' disciples, they often found themselves confounded until after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then things began to change. Then they were empowered. Before that, their faith would surge and it would rise up. And then it would fall down, up and down like a roller coaster. Through it all, Jesus was in control. He was always in control. Jesus already had in mind what to do. And I see that in this narrative here, the wedding of Cana. Jesus, he's in full control. Yeah, I don't see his mom pushing him around. Hey, you need to fix this. Jesus already had in mind what to do even before his mother came to him. That's the way I read it. And in my interpretation, Jesus' response is a response that says to her, no, no, I'm not with you. I'm not going to leave. I'm not going to walk out on this guy. I'm staying right here. And it's then, it's then that Mary's faith is emboldened. I can see in my mind's eye all of these memories rushing back to Mary all these strange but divine events that she treasured and she pondered in her heart all of those years. And once they come, they, they come clear when her son stands up to her. And he says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. She sees him as John had declared him, the Lamb of God. She understands him as Andrew testified to Peter. We have found the Christ. Mary comprehends him as Philip said to Nathaniel. He is the one Moses wrote about this Jesus of Nazareth. And with him, with him, nothing is impossible. What's next? She can only imagine. But she doesn't hesitate. She doesn't hesitate now to give instructions to the servants. And they're simple and they're straightforward. Do whatever he tells you. And then what occurred? Jesus worked a great miracle. Over 120 gallons of water brimming in stone pots was changed into the best of wine. Think of the first great plagues uh, that God brought to Egypt when a pharaoh refused to let the Israelites leave and go free. What happened? God changed water. He changed the water of the Nile into blood. There was a stench, and all the fish of the Nile died. The water was turned into blood, blood, a sign of death and judgment. 
And now in this first sign of Jesus, to show his glory, he's in control. He changed water to the best of vintages. And this foreshadows the Last Supper when Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not a sign of death, not a sign of judgment, but a sign of life and a sign of grace offered up as the first sign that he showed his glory. God already had it in mind. God already had it in mind what Jesus was. God already had it in mind what Jesus was going to do. Jesus was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation you might find yourself in, Jesus is in control. He already has the end in mind. And what else might we, might we draw from this little narrative, from this incident? Think of these servants and how they were instructed. Do whatever he tells you. Obediently, without hesitation. They filled the water pots. These water pots that were used for ceremonial cleaning. That's kind of a strange request. Hey, Go fill up the wash basins. But then there's even a stranger request. What's next? Draw from the pots and give it to the master of ceremonies. Now imagine that for a second. Can you imagine drawing from the pots of water that's being used to wash the hands of everybody who, who's coming to this gathering? These were the pots for the ceremonial washing you're going to dip into that and go ask your boss, hey, here, drink some. It's kind of a strange request. But these servants, they were obedient. They saw something in Jesus. And the master, he didn't taste wash water. No, he tasted the greatest wine he had ever had. Do whatever he tells you. That was their instruction. And if we consider ourselves servants of Jesus, that same directive, that falls on us too. That applies to us. Regardless of what, what we're going through in life, regardless of any trial or tribulation, whatever blessing is being bestowed upon us, whatever's happening that might come our way, might be the greatest day of our life, or it might be our soul is being pierced. Whatever is next. With Jesus Christ, it's the best. When you met him, he gave you his best. He gave you eternal life. And as you live with him, as you live for him, when you discern his will, when you know his will, however unexpected that is, however improbable it may appear to be likely to lead to success, however unreasonable it may at first sight appear, dip into that. Take it to the boss. When you know the will of Christ, don't hesitate, don't argue, don't protest. Do it. Do it. He already has the end in mind. 
with his divine uh, chemistry, he can turn water into wine. Common things become glorious things. Common things become great, great mysteries. Water to wine. Wine, his blood. Bread, his body. He took a tomb and it became, it became the gateway to glory. And in the heart, in a heart that's common to every man and every woman, Jesus Christ can accomplish a mighty change. He can transform. He can renew. He can reconnect a mortal with the eternal. And that's what Jesus Christ can accomplish. What's next for you? Before I came to Christ, I could say, I was like an empty stone pot. But when I turned to him, he transformed. He changed. He made, a, he made an impact. He made a connection. We formed a relationship. Jesus Christ can take the heart of stone and he can transform it into something brand new. When we realize it, it's not the time to say, well, the pot's empty. I'm going to leave now. No, it's time to say, I'm going to turn to him. He already has the end in mind. He already knows. Do you realize who he is today? He has in mind to save your soul. If you've never yielded your heart to Jesus Christ, if you've never turned your life over to him, let him transform you today. Let's stand as we close and pray. And for those of you who know Jesus and you've come to Jesus, take this away today. He's always in control. He already has the end in mind. And we're called to do whatever he instructs us to do. But if you've never yielded your life to him, if you've never said, I get it now. I realize who you are. I see my life as this empty stone pot. Allow him to fill you. Allow him to change you into the best. I want to pray right now and if you're here and that's you, I just invite you to, to pray and turn your, turn your heart to him. He can change you. He can make you the best. Father, in Jesus' name, we just ask right now, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who might have been at that place of misunderstanding, even pondering and questioning, God, if today they have seen something through your word that Jesus Christ can change the heart of stone into a heart of flesh, Lord, I pray that you would meet that person right now. God, I pray you'd open up yourself to them. I pray, God, that they would not leave here until they have said, I yield to you, and I'll do what you want me to do. I'll do what you tell me to do. I'll give you my life. Oh, Lord, I just pray. I pray, God, that that's happening right now. And I pray your blessing for those who would be praying that.
And God, for every one of us here, every one of us here who know you and call you as Lord and Savior, encourage our faith, God, strengthen our faith. May we leave here, even though we don't know what's next, we know you and we know you're in control. God, seal that in our heart that we know you have the end in mind. All things are possible with you. God, seal that in our hearts that you have us. And God, may we do our level best to do what you've called us to do. Help us to know your will and know your way that we would just do it. And God, I thank you for that. I thank you for all who are here. I pray your blessing upon them. May your hand be upon them. And I ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.